Welcome to the Commune Podcast. This is Jeff Krasno. Many of you may receive my weekly Sunday commuting article where I address a breadth of issues from the spiritual to the physiological to the socio-political. And on occasion, I will also record an audio version of these articles and release it here as a bonus episode. So you may have recently come across news headlines highlighting torturous summer travel. Well, I didn't have to read about these nightmarish ordeals in the papers because I experienced my own madcap misadventures firsthand. And today's episode recounts the dreadful, if occasionally humorous, twists and turns of my recent return from the City of Lights, along with my obsession with a particular fragrance. Well, if you like what we do at Commune, please subscribe to this podcast and also get a free trial of Commune membership at onecommune.com slash trial. You'll get access to over 100 courses featuring top thought leaders, doctors, and authors across nutrition, yoga, mindfulness, regenerative agriculture, and more. Without further delay, here's today's episode titled Essential Oil. I absolutely adore lavender oil. I own bounteous amounts of it and slather it generously and regularly on the nape of my neck and up the palm side of my arms. My general whereabouts are easily detected by wafts of the sweet floral scent emanating in all directions from my absorbent olive skin. My obsession earns me the ceaseless mockery of my children. I don't care. My beloved lavender is like a baby blanket, providing me with both a serene sort of comfort and an acute ability to focus. I have forsaken virtually all other forms of health and beauty aids. The abandonment of hygiene goods is a product of my aforementioned infatuation combined with eco-mindedness and topped with a small dollop of laziness. I assiduously avoid phthalates and parabens. I don't use shaving cream, shampoo, soap, or deodorant. And this personal data might violate a TMI clause, but I haven't washed my hair in years. I just run it under the water, and it remains luminous enough. Believe me, I make up for the dearth of plastic bottles in my medicine cabinet with the accumulation of myriad amber glass vials of lavender oil. And my recent trip to France was a veritable lavender orgy. The drought-resistant flowering plant is native to the Mediterranean and abundant across the fields of Provence. As I bumped around ancient villages, I accumulated all sorts of bespoke tinctures and roll-ons from wrinkled boutique proprietors who invariably claimed to have la meilleure lavande du monde. If my trip to France was itself heavenly, the return home was unadulterated hell. I arrived at Charles de Gaulle Airport, brewed in tow, three and a half hours before takeoff, which I considered ample time to catch our flight. We got off on a bad foot. 
the digital check-in kiosk wouldn't read my passport. So we were shunted into a ticketing queue. After an hour of snail-like progress, we received our boarding passes and were obliged to check our carry-on bags. Now, Skylar had insisted that we efficiently pack our tech, clothes, and toiletries into small roller bags, no bigger than 22 inches long, 14 inches wide, and 9 inches high, the maximum dimensions for a carry-on. However, my better three-quarters was unaware that in Europe, carry-on limits are determined by weight, not size. The pen is mightier than the sword in the old country. Hence, we longingly bid adieu to our affairs and were directed toward the security line. Except it wasn't a line. It was a security mosh pit, four hours long. Flesh to flesh, a hundred degrees, babies wailing, tempers flaring, old ladies fainting, everyone increasingly maleficent and malodorous. I leveraged every meditation practice I had ever learned. I've talked here previously about my claustrophobia. I was trapped in a small locker as a kid. Well, there was no way out of this swarm. Breathe, Jeff. You are where you're supposed to be. You are simply the blackboard upon which the phenomenal world is etched. Witness the nausea. Wave at it. It's just a cloud. You are the sky. Return to the breath. In the stultifying heat, we trudge through Dante's Inferno. Every time we crossed some seemingly final threshold, our expectations were dashed as we pierced yet another circle of hell from limbo to heresy, to the central well of Malibulge. Every quarter hour, I refreshed my Air France app. In small increments, the departure time kept getting pushed back. The delay was good news at this juncture. As the throng approached the final checkpoint, there was a closing surge as if all the grains of sand on a beach were being pushed through a pinhole. At last, we navigated the last x-ray scanner and were thrust out of purgatory into a duty-free commercial paradise. Air-conditioned and sparsely populated, the gargantuan antechamber boasted every luxury French brand you could conjure. Hermès, Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Dior, Givenchy, Yves Saint Laurent. There was little time for window shopping, though. Time was ticking, and we scampered to our gate. There was immediately a desolate feeling radiating from gate 13A. The boarding doors were closed, and a self-possessed gate attendant with a ski-jump nose was all too content to tell us that we had missed the flight. My protestations were of little utility, though, because she then informed us that the flight had been annulée, canceled, and all the passengers would soon be disembarking. Good God is about all I could muster. Well, I suppose we'd be first in the line to rebook, but... Because we were tardy, we weren't allowed to speak to the gate representative. Our penance included scrambling to some far-flung customer service counter on the other side of the terminal. Run! To wait. And yet, another line. This queue was mercifully short, and the Air France representative proportionally more jocund. She was extremely excited to practice her English and informed me with great verve that there was not another flight to Los Angeles for another week. 
c'est pas possible. I had a similar desire to practice my French. I couldn't spend another week in Paris, and I was certainly not going to leave duty-free Astan and return to Shitlandia. Just then, as I teetered on the cliff's edge, peering down into the gorge of eternal peril, something clicked in my mind. I remembered the portly businessman against whom I was long pressed in the security melee, adroitly anticipating the impending baggage worker strike, he had modified his flight to San Francisco to leave a day earlier. Now, the French are seasoned veterans when it comes to walkouts. They time their strikes strategically to ensure maximum leverage, and the culture largely tolerates it. The travel infrastructure was already overwhelmed due to pent-up post-COVID wanderlust. A baggage strike would essentially cripple the entire industry. A big, fat raise was simmering on the stovetop, and the baggage workers were running the kitchen. In any case, if this homme d'affaires had gotten a seat on the flight to SFO, well, there might just be a few more. Madame, can you get us on the flight to San Francisco? It was a shot in the dark, but I would have accepted any North American destination at that juncture. She obfuscated and prevaricated, jabbing aggressively at buttons on her keyboard. I told her how exquisitely she spoke English. Well, it could be possible, she reluctantly admitted and printed out a fistful of boarding passes. We dashed back to the other side of the terminal and boarded our 12-hour flight to San Francisco. On the plane, I got a trickle of internet sufficient to book a middle-of-the-night transfer from SFO to LAX on United. We landed in the Golden City, executed a razor-thin transfer, and somehow arrived back in the City of Angels. Of course, I didn't possess even a remote expectation that our bags were going to tumble down the LAX luggage chute. And of course, they didn't. At that stage, we barely cared. However, the next morning, the sequel to the travel nightmare was released. The highly unanticipated Hunt for the Lost Bags. The dark comedy had a score provided by smooth jazz icon Kenny G., I spent three hours per day listening to his saccharine soprano sax stylings as I waited on hold for anyone with a pulse. And there was little clue to whether our bags were in Paris, San Francisco, or Los Angeles, or for that matter, were in the custody of United Airlines or Air France. The former did provide a South Asian-based customer service representative after hours of bluesy sax licks. Air France provided no such luxury. That said, I chipped away at it like Rodin with a block of marble, and after three days, our bags began to dribble in. After ten days, they had all arrived, all, of course, except mine. This is the kind of burden a father must bear. I was privy to the squeals of delight as the girls recouped their cheap makeup and crop tops. Meanwhile, all of my podcast gear and computers remained in some liminal space on an unconfirmed continent. I poked and prodded every website. I joined every Sky Miles Club possible in an attempt to get an upper hand. Nothing paid dividends. 
I suppose I could have just written it off and practiced non-attachment, but it was gnawing at me. Last Sunday, I got up, likely drank too much espresso, and decided to boldly take matters into my own hands. I was going to drive to LAX and find my bag. I borrowed my daughter's razor. Mine was in my bag, of course. I showered, no soap, shaved, and donned a proper collared shirt, a rarity for me. Skyler was a saint to accompany me back into the travel mines. As I approached the congestion surrounding the airport, what had appeared to be a valiant idea in the wake of morning coffee now seemed patently absurd. There are 200,000 people traveling through LAX per day, and they all have at least one bag. I was literally looking for a needle in a haystack. I jumped out of the car at Tom Bradley International Terminal. Skyler would circle. I had done a cursory review of airport topography, so I knew where to find the information booth on the departures level. I gave the hapless woman stationed at the booth a hangdog look as I explained my plight. You'll have to wait in that line. She pointed toward the Air France ticketing area. I eyed the serpentine queue. I was getting quite adept at estimating wait times. I intuited mm, three hours. I haphazardly scanned to the right, though, and noticed that behind a number of stanchions and velvet ropes was the unoccupied premier class check-in. I gave my chemise an extra tuck and confidently strode over to the first-class check-in as if I had a backstage pass to a Rolling Stones concert. I was spiffy enough to look the part. Almost immediately, a grave and officious-looking woman brandishing a fleur-de-lis ascot motioned me toward her station. How can I help you? Never sounded so mellifluous. Well... I'm not traveling today, but I'm a loyal Flying Blue member, and I'm in search of my luggage. Do you have your claim ticket, she rejoined. In response, I pulled out a portfolio of documentation, including the original boarding passes, bag claim checks, photocopies of my passport, the recipe for bouillabaisse, and assorted Victor Hugo poetry. Come with me, then, she said firmly. I looked at her, somewhat perplexed. She was in a distinctly restricted area. Come with me, she reiterated, her patience diminishing. So I vaulted over the ticket counter and across a conveyor belt that very much resembled the one that pilfered my roller bag a continent away. Madame then removed her lanyard and pressed her credentials against a magnetic reader. There was a satisfying click from the lock and a magical door swung open. I felt vaguely like Lucy stepping through the wardrobe. However, the back-of-house administrative offices of Air France were hardly the fantasy landscape of Narnia. There were 30 or so fluorescent-lit, windowless cubicles with desks and computers and printers. No people, only luggage. Thousands of bags stacked like dusty old books in an abandoned library. She gave me a look that said, have at it, and then disappeared to face her next misadventure. Where to start? I collected my wits and took a deep nostril breath, as I've been instructed so many times, and another deep inhale. And at the summit of my breath, a distinctive, 
familiar odor tickled my olfactory. Could it be? No. Another giant inhale that flattened my diaphragm. Lavender. Upon mishandling my bag, the striking baggage workers must have broken one of my canisters of lavender, and now the mesmerizing scent was permeating the administrative cubbyholes of LAX. I literally followed my nose through the labyrinth of identical black Samsonite roller bags until I arrived in the most wonderful nondescript office. It was redolent with the enchanting aroma of Mediterranean lavender. I looked towards the desk, and there she was, patiently waiting for me, my old roller bag. I ran to her and literally hugged her as if she were my grandmother. I called Skylar. How long will you be? She queried immediately. I got her. Come and pick me up. Triumphantly, I darted to the B7 curbside, tightly clutching my beloved bag and my most essential oil. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on your favorite pod catcher. Now, if you're interested in getting my weekly Commusings essay, just sign up at onecommune.com. And while you're there, check out a free 14-day trial to our course platform, which features teachers and thought leaders like Deepak Chopra, Russell Brandt, Marianne Williamson, Dr. Mark Hyman, Byron Katie, and so many others. That's all from the Commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you.